As Andy prayed earlier, uh, we hope to be a loving and welcoming and inviting church and inviting people. And our passage this morning has a lot to do that do with that. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. So if you have your Bible or a Bible in front of you, you can turn there. And while you turn there, I want to tell you about my first day of college. Uh, really what I remember from my first day of college is not really just something, but it's a person. The first person I remember from college is a guy named Andy. Uh, not Andy Wyatt. He went to a different school. But his name was Andy. Uh, it's 1998. It's hot. It's Statesboro, Georgia. And uh, I'm in the parking lot moving my stuff in, and I meet Andy. And Andy starts helping me just take stuff from my car into my room. And it turns out like he lives like a door away from me, so it was very convenient. But he was just there helping people. And it was kind of odd that he would be there, to be honest, because he was a senior. And he was a Georgia Southern senior, as in, like, I'm in my fourth year, but I got a lap to go still even after this kind of thing. So he's in his fourth year. He has lots of friends, and he's lived on campus every year, which means he gains points year after year, which means he, he had the second highest priority number on the entire campus of where he gets to live. So there's only one person on campus who can pick where they live before he does. So he can pick the largest, the nicest, the most convenient, the newest, all these things, places to live. And he didn't choose those. He chose Johnson Hall, which is the worst, terrible place, thus bulldozed since then dorm I've ever been in. It was the smallest rooms you could possibly get. The beds were actually... Uh, pull out couches like they were a couch and you just pull it out a little bit and then that's your bed and uh, like I could reach over and hold my roommate's hand it's pretty bad and uh to, oh I forgot to mention it's an all-guys freshman dorm it's the wor- it's a living nightmare honestly but Andy chose to live there with his second pick and you may be wondering why in the world would he do that my best answer to that question is because he's a Christian Uh, He went there because he wanted to meet people that he could potentially build relationships with, love, help, and share the gospel with. That's why he chose to live there, and that's what he did. Uh, He spent a lot of time befriending all the people on that hall. He spent time with us by starting a fly football team. We ate meals together. We played video games together. Uh, He hung out with boneheads like me. We worked out, we socialized, he knew us, and he helped us. And he went out of his way, if you think about it, to be there with us. He went out of his way uh, just to take the chance to potentially get to talk to people about Jesus. And I bring up Andy because as I read this passage, he was the first person that came to mind. Uh, And our passage this morning is one where I think Andy, but Paul is exemplifying something for us that Andy was touching on. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, and we're going to read that just now. But I will preface it with this. We're picking up in the middle of the chapter where Paul has been talking about how he has been laying aside some rights and privileges for the sake of the gospel, that people might know the gospel, that he might have a warm welcome with them and be able to reach them as well. So we're picking up, and he's about to give another reason why he might lay aside some of his rights. So please... Read along as I start in verse 19. 
For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would now be with us, that you would take your word and speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We ask that simply in your name. Amen. This morning, I really want to consider this passage in just three, in three simple questions, actually. I want to ask the question, uh, what does it take to become all things to all people? What does it take to become all things to all people? And then jump from there to ask the question, what does it mean to actually become all things to all people? And then end with what is required to become all things to all people. So we're focusing in on this phrase, becoming all things to all people that you might win some. But we're going to look at it using those three verses. And I'll be honest with you this morning, I've been eager to teach this passage ever since our missions conference. And over the last couple weeks, as I've looked at this, and this week particularly, I've had kind of two hopes or feelings. And uh, not that you're super interested in my feelings all the time, but I'll pretend that you are right now. One of my feelings or hopes is that I hope that two weeks from now, this passage still bothers you. As in, you can't get it out of your mind. Because it's just that practical to you. And that it's that, like, important. The second feeling that I have is excitement. Because, to be honest with you, I forgot to do this in the first service, but I hope to do it in this one. I want to talk about some of the potential kingdom impact that can come from a group of people, a whole church, actually applying this passage. So that being said, let me jump into the first question, which was, what does it take to become all things to all people? Paul actually answers this for us right off the bat. If you just read verse 19, he says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. If you want to do what Paul's doing here, all he says you have to do is make yourself a servant. And so if your mind works like my mind, you ask the question, okay, well, what would make him want to do that? What would it take to do that? What would it take for someone to lay down all their rights, their comforts, their luxuries perhaps even, to minister and love other people, just to have the opportunity to do it? And I think the answer to that also lies in verse 19 at the very beginning, in a simple little phrase that has a little more to it than meets the eye perhaps. It says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant. And when he says, I am free from all, it's kind of like he slides in this doctrinal declaration of something that is just so profoundly true that it's causing him to do this because he's repeating something he's been saying for a while in this chapter because we've known if you've been reading the chapter up to this point he is free from all he's free from all people free from their laws he is free from all those things but the one thing if you read in verse 21 and go on the one thing that he is saying he is not free from is God He is not free from God's law. Paul is free, free from any human being. He's free from people. He's free in Christ, but he's not free from Christ. And uh, 
I said this earlier, it's the best kind of free you can possibly hope for. It's this kind of free that means I'm free from myself, I'm free from others, and I'm actually free inside the constraints of a loving God who's designed this relationship and world for me. That's the best kind of free, is, is a person who is free in Christ. Uh, St. Augustine said this, he says, A man is most free when controlled by God alone. You are most free when controlled by God alone. So when Paul starts this passage, he's saying, I am free. I am free in Christ. That's why I'm free from all people. My identity is in Christ. Jesus is my life. He is my everything. I'm caught up in a relationship with Jesus. I'm for king and kingdom 24-7. He is my life. Therefore, I am free, and I'm going to make myself a servant. So because that's true for him, because that's what Jesus is for him, he gladly takes the role of a servant, because his life isn't about him. It's about something much bigger, something much better, much better than any rights or luxuries or comforts he might acquire for himself. So to go back to that original question, what does it take to become all things to all people? Paul says it takes taking on the role of a servant. And uh, this idea of taking on the role of a servant wasn't even Paul's idea. Paul is very guilty of just stealing stuff from all over the Bible. He basically... If there were copyright infringements, he just takes the Old Testament and just reworks it for us with Jesus, right? Well, here he actually speeds it up. He actually just is copying, stealing this straight from Jesus. Taking on the role of a servant to win people, that's Jesus' game. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is the servant. If you read Matthew 20, Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, though free, took on the role of a servant. He laid down his life. He purchased salvation for people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. For all people. Simon Kistemacher says this. He says, Paul demonstrates that he is a servant of Jesus by being a servant of Christ's people. He's mimicking Jesus, and he's showing who he is. You and me, Paul... We can make ourselves a servant to Christ. That is what we can do. And the reason we can do it is because it is what Christ had done for us first. We can be a servant. We can be free because Christ came to serve us and free us. That is the message of the good news. So to become all things to all people, it starts with taking on the role of a servant. And that only comes from making Jesus your everything. This is where we start. That's the answer to the first question. What does it take? Now the next question is a little longer answer to what's it mean to become all things to all people? What does that mean? Uh, if you want to try to simplify this phrase to become all things to all people, it really is just talking about how do we relate to all the people around us. For Sometimes it's easy to relate to people around us because we have so much in common. Other times, we have nothing in common, and it can be real work. That's why it's profound to say become all things to all people. Now, there are differences in worldview, lifestyle, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, age, and the list goes on and on and on. We're called to become all things to all people. So when you think all, it really is all. Uh, For me, that seems daunting. And it seems ambiguous. Uh, 
So what am I really relating to? What am I becoming all things to? Well, I have the charge to become all things to the culture in which I live and the community in which I live. So to become all things to all people really is talking about how I will relate to the community and culture that I find myself in. So how do I do, how do, I do this? Well, I want to talk about this, answer that question by saying what we don't do and what we do. All right, so a negative and a positive. So let's start with like, what this doesn't mean. Uh, it, I think it always will mean this. If you, if you take nothing, it means not adopting an extreme when it comes to how to relate to culture and community. And I want to talk about this as a spectrum. We want to stay away from the ends of the spectrum. On this side of the spectrum is something I want to call accommodation or assimilation. Uh, this error, so to speak, is something that people do when they hear become all things to all people. They believe that means, well, I need to be like them. I need to do what they do, believe what they believe, and act how they act. Well, that's not what it means. That simply is just trying to fit in. That is accommodation. And the reason this is an issue is because in that scenario, the Christian has lost their saltiness, to borrow a biblical illustration. There is no saltiness to that Christian. Accommodation has a fatal flaw because it's missing something. It's missing the truth. It's missing the Bible. It's missing Jesus. See, Jesus must be central. The accommodation to fit in with the world kind of removes the teeth of Jesus in the gospel. Often it, it leaves out the idea that we need to repent and to believe and put faith in Christ. This extreme doesn't lead people to Jesus. It just leads to a lack of conflict where maybe Christians just fit in. Now on the other extreme, uh, we have people who respond in error to this, become all things to all men or all people, because they look at this crowd over here and like, that is wrong. You cannot compromise the truth like that. And so they see this danger, and they respond by swinging the pendulum way too far, and the emphasis then becomes on what are the differences and dangers of the culture, and how do we stay away from that? And this will often also come along with standing over here being like, I will not compromise truth. That's, that seems to be the thing. But then it so often quickly turns into... Not, not everyone who says that does this, but it can often turn into, I'm against culture. I'm against, I don't like people that aren't like me. And they have a hard time relating and hard time extending the grace of God. Uh, I'll tell you what, not compromising truth is an excellent starting point. It must be our starting point. But it can't ever turn into anti-accommodation. It can't ever mean that we don't associate with people that we disagree with or have a worldview lifestyle that we don't disagree with. Because if I'm a Christian and I believe people's life is found to be like full in Christ, well, I can't be surprised that people who have not found Christ don't act and think that way. This is where I think we have to be careful. At this end of the spectrum, one pastor was saying that I read that this end of the, people on this end of the spectrum have an interaction with their neighbor or evangelistic encounters that sound something like this. I am right, and you are wrong, and if you have time, I'd love to tell you about it. Uh, if someone starts a conversation like that with me, uh, those of you who know me uh, are like, I can see that not working. Uh, Justin seems to be stubborn, 
And if he ever sniffs competitiveness in a conversation, he may or may not try to win. Yeah, so we don't respond well to this. I'm right, you're wrong, and I'd love to tell you about it. Sure, the truth isn't compromised, but the result is the same, right? The salt has lost its saltiness for a different reason. I don't know if you've ever tried to share your faith with someone or not, but if you have very often, one of the times, one of the things you may run across is that you find a person who's very turned off to Jesus, and you ask them why they're turned off to Jesus, and guess what their answer is? Christians. Uh, that's not great, obviously, but it kind of speaks to maybe that we fall sometimes on that side where we lack love and grace or understanding, or perhaps it's just relationship. In the end, this extreme doesn't lead people to Jesus either. It can kind of tell them that God disapproves, but it doesn't lead them to the gospel. So one extreme, accommodation, fails because it's love without truth. The other one, anti-accommodation, fails because it's truth without love. Those are, this is what it doesn't mean. So what does it mean? What should it be like? And uh, so I think the answer to that, to become all things to all people, should mean truth and love together in the middle of the spectrum. We have to have both. I think Paul exemplifies this, and this, this is also the pattern of Jesus. This is what Paul is recommending to us. So how do we do that? It's, this could take forever, so I just try to simplify it. Just try three things. Just try three things. If you want to say, I want to become all things to all people in order that I might win some, try three things. First, go to them. Second, be with them. And the third is invite them. Go to, be with, invite. We'll start with what it means to go to. It's actually very straightforward, exactly what it says. We must go to other people. We must find ways and make ways to build relationships with people. That may be easy for some. It, there might be lots of opportunities in the places that you work, or maybe inside your family, or your school, or your neighborhood. For others, this may actually be more difficult than it sounds, because you don't have so many places that you intersect with a lot of people. It may be taking a level of creativity from you. It may mean starting small with just building a few relationships. It may mean talk to people at the gym, talk to people at Starbucks, start a hobby, get one, you know, make one, interact with people. Uh, but no matter what, we need to be initiating to people. Andy, the guy I was telling you about from Georgia Southern, he went to people. He went to a dorm of freshman guys. Paul, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he went to all sorts of people in all sorts of places. And then consider Jesus. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus came to us? He came and met us on our turf. He purposely intersected with us, went out of his way to do so. He came to us. We should do the same. We can't become all things to all people and win some for Christ if we never go to them. So that's go-to. The second thing is be with. Befriend and do life with people. We need to build relationships. And not relationships that are just purely based on the fact that I need to try to talk to you about Jesus, but ones that are built out of real godly love and concern for other image bearers. We need to take interest in people's lives. We need to share meals with people. Have them into our home. We need to go shopping together. 
Some of you can get on board with that. We need to go walking together, fishing together, hunting together. The guys are like, now we're talking. And we need to be doing life with people. If you ask, well, how much, how do I know? Is it enough? I don't know. I, I guess the answer to that question is be with them enough that it matters. Just be with them enough that it matters. The guy Andy I was telling you about that came to the dorm, it's one thing to go to the dorm. It's another thing to spend time with everyone. And he did that very well, hours at a time sometimes. Jesus spent time with people constantly with his disciples all day. He had hundreds of other people that were close to him that would follow him around regularly. He was with them a lot. But then he also made the pur- like purposeful efforts a lot of times to go to the weak and the needy. We need to go to people. We can't become all things to all people and win some to Christ if we never do life with them. You can't do it if you don't go to them. You can't do it if you don't do life with them. And then the last one, go to, be with, and invite. Remember the aim is to show the love of Christ and the beauty of Christ and the gospel. We must invite them to Jesus. Now that may look like inviting someone to church. Or that may look like inviting someone to a church picnic. Or it might mean just studying the Bible with them or asking them questions. But we need to be inviting people to hear and believe the gospel. Uh, that guy Andy I keep referring to, I know he probably shared, got to share the gospel a dozen times that first semester. Just because he went to people and he spent time with them. And then he got to invite people to faith in Christ. When Jesus came to earth, he invited people to himself. He lived the truth, he preached the truth, he was the truth, and he knew that the greatest human need was to believe in him, to repent and believe in him, because he's the only way to the Father. So he invited, and so should we, because we can't be all things to all people and hope to win some to Christ if we never share the message So we need to go to be with, invite. It's what Jesus did. It's what Paul's doing here. Realize this isn't new. If someone today would say, I want to go be a missionary, what are you going to do? You're going to go to them. You're going to be with them. And you're going to invite them into a relationship with Christ, right? We're missionaries right on the ground we stand on. People cannot come to faith without the gospel being brought to them. That's what hit me probably more than anything else this week. We cannot get past the fact that Romans 10 says we are those bringers. People need the gospel brought to them. We are those bringers. All right, so the last thing, what does it require of us to become all things to all people? So what's it going to take? There is a comedian who uh, has this bit that he does, and he tells the crowd at the beginning that he just became a father. And everyone's like, oh, Congratulations. And he's like, for the fourth time, they're like, nope, uh, that's weird. You know? he's, and he's like, yeah, everyone stops clapping after the third one. You know? So it's like he's, he's talking to these people, and they're recognizing. Like, and one, he was like, you talk to those people, and they're like, wow, four kids. I guess that's one way to do life. Uh, and they're just astounded at like, why he would do this. And so he also talks about how some people get up the nerve to ask him, it's like, what's it like to have four kids? And he goes, all right, well, easy. Imagine with me for a moment that you're drowning. 
And while you're drowning, someone just hands you a baby. <laughs> That's what it's like. And uh, I have four kids, and I will not comment on his, his analogy there. But what is the point of what he's saying? It's hard. It's hard. I'm telling you right now, that's not so much unlike what you're being asked to do right here. Because having a fourth kid, what's astounding to people is that you're already terribly busy life right here, and now you're going to add something to it. I'm telling you right now, there's no way of getting around this passage. You have a terribly busy life, and God wants you to add something to it. He wants me to add something to it. It's strong conviction. But we need to be making room in our life. It may require us to say no to some things, to give up some things, to make some sacrifices of comfort. And I plead with you, after studying this, reflecting on this, and considering even like how this might affect our church, I think the biggest thing that we have to adopt is the willingness to change, the willingness to sacrifice in our own homes or you as an individual to say, I am willing and ready to be inconvenienced. As a family, I am ready to be interrupted and have things not go right because I am going to have one of these opportunities. Or it's like, I know we always do this, but for the sake of the gospel, I want to do something different. I'll just point out this. Our two primary examples that we've been looking at here, Jesus and Paul, I get the sense from reading about those guys in my Bible that there's nothing they wouldn't sacrifice in order for the gospel to go forth. And last I checked, Jesus asked me to follow him. It's a really hard challenge. So if you were going to summarize what does it take, I would say it's going to take a little extra effort, it's going to take a little hard work, and it's going to take some inconveniencing now, there's ways to make that easier or ways to go about making that happen. And as I told the, the first service, I'm not naturally a smiler. Like, if you catch me not paying attention, I'm probably not smiling. I'm probably looking really ugly, like doing something weird. Uh, some people just smile and you're super welcoming. And so this idea of becoming all things to all people is like you got to foot up. But for those of us who may need some help, I want to just throw out a couple things and then we'll wrap up here. It says, but practical ways that I can do this. Uh, One I already mentioned, commit to making a way. May it be understood that we're willing to trim our schedule and make some sacrifices and be less busy to build margin into our life so that we can be busy with this. Also be friendly and approachable. Uh, I said smile, but take interest in other people. That makes you approachable. Ask them questions and listen. If you ask questions and listen, people will know that you care and they will like you because everyone likes to talk about themselves. The third thing is start where you are, where you live, work, and play. Just start there. Start conversations. Start inviting people. Start getting to know people better. The other thing is champion your neighbor. You know, not your literal next-door neighbor. It could be them. But start by championing your neighbor. Be for them. Help them. Ask about their lives. Encourage them. And then the last one is don't be afraid to own your Christianity. So often I think I need to go to them and be with them, and then at some point I'm just going to unleash this bomb that I'm a Christian and they're like terrified, right? No, it's like I need to own my Christianity and don't be shy about it. Let people hear about my faith. Let them see Jesus. Share what you're learning. Share what you're doing. I told the first service, here's my trick. I just ask people their opinion on the Bible. Like, hey, I was reading this earlier today. What do you think about this? And they're like, Oh, I'm so glad that you value my opinion so much. Let me give it to you. And all of a sudden, we're talking about Jesus. Uh, 
we can do this. And the good news is this. Look, this is really good news. Uh, no one is stopping you. Nothing is stopping you. Like, there's literally nothing stopping you. Like, there's no law. Like, there's nothing. Like, we can all do this, like, immediately from walking out of here. The other thing is that, it's really exciting to me, is that it requires almost no skill whatsoever. Like, we're all qualified. And then the last one is it doesn't matter how old you are. My five-year-old can do this. I can do this. We can go to people, be with them, and invite them. I said that I forgot this in the first service, but if there's 600 people here between the first and second services, if we just spent a year, everyone here just spent a year, this is 12 months from now, this time next year, if we could just get in, uh, like, to invite one person for where I li- around where I live, where I work, and where I play, we would have 1,800 visitors to our church. That's what I was telling you. I, I'm excited. Because it's nothing stopping us. It requires almost no skill, and we can all do it. Like, this is really good news. All right, um, I'll, I'll end with this story about Andy. He did all that, and uh, he gave up so much convenience and comfort to live in this dorm just so that he would be able to put himself out there to take the risk that hopefully win someone to faith in Christ. And I love Andy Wozniacki to this day because Andy Wozniacki shared the gospel with me and it changed my life. He, who cares what else happened that year? Well, someone else may, but my life is different because he did that. We can do this. It's what Jesus does for us. This whole becoming all things to all people that we might win some works. It worked for Paul, it worked for Jesus, it worked for Andy, it will work for us. So I think we're left with three rather difficult questions to answer. Do I love Jesus in such a way that he is my everything? Because that's where this passage started. With Paul being motivated by Jesus being his everything. We have to go to, be with, and invite. And like right now, like I'm an inviter. I told the person, you don't see it, but this plaque says, Sir, we would see Jesus. It's because it's about him. And some of you may be here and don't have a relationship with him. You may have been hesitant your whole life. But today is the day of salvation. Come to him and put your faith and trust in him. Do we love Jesus that way? The second one is this. The second hard question, am I actually going to? Am I willing to change and inconvenience myself for the opportunity to make Christ known? Will I take that step? And then the third one, the last one is the hardest. And it's kind of what I see as I I survey the landscape of this whole passage. And this question is, what happens if we don't? What happens if we don't do this? I think it's obvious that the answer is nothing. I, uh, I think the greatest example of will you be willing to inconvenience yourself for the sake of others moment in the entire history of the world was the cross. I think we can agree on that. Jesus went way out of bounds to make himself available to suffer as a servant that we might live. And he had a conversation with the Father beforehand. He says, your will be done 
but not mine. You see, he does that because his delight was his Father's will. So Jesus went to a cross, laid down his life, that we might receive salvation. In just a moment, we're going to take communion, and it's really just a celebration of this truth. It's a celebration of the fact that Jesus has come to save sinners like you and me. It's a time to remember the grace of God in our lives, but it's also a time to be renewed by his grace. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your provision of salvation. When we found ourselves on the outside, you made a way to you because you came to us and you lived amongst us and you invited us in to your family and you made sure that it was possible. So Lord, now as we prepare to take of your supper, we pray that, Lord, you would help us to remember, to be renewed, and to be encouraged. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we